Praise the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Start with a little joke here. I have to read it off of this phone. Because I forgot to bring one, so I found one. <laughs> a group of seminary students gathered in the chapel one day as the dean challenged them not to pray for a large church because of the stress, problems, and the worries that go with it. The next year, one of the students who graduated returned to give his testimony. He said, I did ask, I did ask God for a big church. However, I also asked God to give me a pretty wife. My prayer was almost answered. Instead of getting a big church and a pretty wife, I got a pretty church and a big wife. <laughs> needs to give thanks. Amen. Amen. Praise you, Jesus. I don't know. I might have to repent of that one. I found it in a hurry. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Heavenly Father, we just lift you up today. <coughs> we come here to celebrate you, Abba Father, your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here governing your church, Lord. We just thank you for having your way in this place today. Use me today. Thank you for the anointing that breaks every yoke. Our, our mission is for transformation minds and hearts, Lord, so that people can be helped, healed everywhere they hurt, empowered through your promises and love and prospered in every way, Lord. That is our goal. So just take charge and thank you for everything that you're doing in all those lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, praise and truth, church. I love you and just so glad to be here with you. And uh, all of those who will hear or see this message, um, either on the YouTube channel or by the podcasts of all the different podcasts that there are, which are a lot. But I uh, just want to acknowledge you in uh, Germany, in Frankfurt, Germany specifically. See your faithfulness and thank you. And, uh, and uh, also in Brazil and Singapore and just all the other places. What a blessing you are. And uh, God, uh, God is with you and I pray for you just like I pray for those that are here in our little church family in Texas. Amen. Amen. Turn in your Bibles or devices or whatever it is that you do to read your Bible. Philippians chapter 4. And I'm going to read verses 4 through 8. And uh, the main verse, I guess, is the 8th verse. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. That's uh, one of Tabana's life scriptures. It's the one uh, that she would probably point out to you first as one that was very liberating and helpful to her in our new life uh, as true Christians. Uh, <laughs> and God is no respecter of persons. It works for everybody. Amen. Philippians chapter 4, starting in the fourth verse. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness or gentleness be known to everyone. 
the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What a great promise. Finally, brothers, the eighth verse, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Why is it important to protect our thought life? Because our lives are going to go the predominant way of our thinking. Yes. That's just a fact. And denying it will just cause you more grief and pain. But learning these truths and allowing God and inviting him in to this area of our lives will do us all great benefit. And everyone around us. And then we can help others with that same help we receive. Amen. It's, it's the law of sowing and reaping at work. See, Jesus said, if you don't understand this, and he, said, he explained the parable of the soils, right? Four soils and the law of sowing and reaping. He said, and they said in the Bible that this law is going to be, and this, it's a spiritual law. There's a natural law to, to help us to see it. Everything is in seed form, you know, in this life. Everything that has life came from a seed. And so does everything in the spiritual realm, you see? And our thoughts and our words are seeds. Whenever we think on something, everything, all of our, James says that all sin begins with a thought. You see? You can, in other words, you can't go somewhere in your body that you haven't already been in your mind. Yeah? Yeah. So, taking our thoughts and thinking of them as seeds, because... Believe it or not, everything will be laid bare one day. Not just our actions, but even our thoughts. Now, you're not going to stand before the white throne judgment for judgment under condemnation from God. You've entered into Christ. You're past that. Amen. That's the grace of God. Amen. But all of our works will be judged uh, by Jesus. But not what size, but what sort. And all pass through the fire. And some of us are going to make it. But just uh, come out as somebody smelling like smoke. Because everything that's not of God will be burned up like hay and stubble. And everything that's pure of God will be like precious stones. You know, and you'll come through that way. So there are rewards and things like that in heaven. And we'll suffer loss too. But I mean, <laughs> the fact is, we'll still be there. Amen. <laughs> Rather be a doorkeeper in heaven than, than live in a mansion in hell, right? Amen. Right. So we, we take these thoughts, these seeds, into, and we, they germinate or they conceive. Everything is conception. You know, the word of God was conceived in Mary. And that wasn't through a natural type of intercourse as we know it in this world. But it was from the word of God. It was spiritual. And it gave birth. In her, and it was conceived. The same thing with everything that we put into this garden of our heart, which is a combination of our spirit and soul. 
And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Amen. You see? And death and life are in the power of the tongue. You are created beings. You're created in the image of your Father. And He created everything that we know with words, His words. That's why I told you the devil is not a created being. But He wants to get you to do some creating for Him. And if He can deceive you into doing it, He'll get you to do it. How do you do it? With your words. And the sooner you recognize that, the sooner you put your foot down and say, Oh, no, He doesn't. Not today, Satan. That's right. Yeah. Amen. Right. Amen. Proverbs 23, 7 says, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. One of the ways to think about this, there used to be a guy, I can't think of his name, but he used to be big on talking about that. Um, we, have to, we have to control the movies that play in our minds, folks. I'm not talking about movies from Hollywood or wherever. I'm talking about the the images, the, the, the things that we think on, the things that we're playing over in our minds, rehearsing in our minds. You see, you're always thinking about something. And this, this one preacher used to always say, people would say to him, I, I can't help what I think. And he said, really? Let's put a TV screen on your forehead and it projects all of your thoughts. I bet you'll control them. And the, the, <laughs> the fact is, it's true. We do have a choice, especially now that we have come to know God and that, that spirit that, uh, that of the devil has been evicted. That fallen nature has been evicted and the spirit of God, the kingdom of God has been ushered in. Now we have the power, the great, there's grace for everything, you know, everything good. Huh? Everything that God has called us to do, he's given us grace to do it. Otherwise he'd be unjust. So if he's telling us, now this is not a command, this is... It is a command, it's a, it, but it's, it's, it's not unto perdition. It's not unto judgment. It's, when, he, when God tells you to do something, it's for your own good because he is love. Amen. 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 So how, how, how? First, we, we need to take responsibility, right? As someone who has a, a part to play in the relationship that we have with God that Jesus made possible. Give him all the glory and all the honor and all the praise and find out what he says about things. I, I like uh, Ephesians 5.10 because uh, my, my old translation used to say, find out what pleases the Lord. And I'm like, wow, what a great scripture because that's telling me it's possible because some people go, oh, God's ways are just so far beyond us. You can never understand. You know, it's just not true. Because God's secret was Jesus, and now he's been revealed to us. Amen. Amen. So you can understand. Remember, I, I've taught on Ephesians uh, for a couple of weeks, I think, just mentioning how the first three chapters talk about everything that Christ has done. And because of that, in the next three chapters, it's be, because of that. Now, based on who you are and what he's given you, now here's how to walk it out. So not only are there benefits... Thus, the first three chapters of Ephesians in Christ, which are immense and eternal and wonderful. But with great benefits comes what? Responsibility. So the responsibility side, see, that's, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, grace 
preachers out there now, churches and things like that, that have just taken the grace message and they focus only on the benefits side. And it creates lasciviousness and people think that they just have a license to sin and it just doesn't matter anymore. That's ridiculous. If you don't, if you continue in, in sin, and that's something that you just choose to, I mean, we're all going to, we're all going to fail basically daily in this life in some way, whether by error or, or omission, you know, even if you know what to do and the right thing to do and don't do it, that's a sin. So, I mean, there's, <laughs> we don't want to go there, you know. And, but the fact is we're all going to make mistakes, but there's still, if you, if you continue living the way you did before you knew the Lord, then you don't really have a revelation of grace. That's just a fact. And I'm going to, the Lord willing, I'm going to teach on grace next week if the Lord says the same. And I'm going to try to help people have a, a greater revelation of what the grace of God really is. Amen. Um, so here's the here's the thing. God calls us to um, utilize replacement therapy. I call it when because um, you can't you can't stop thinking about something uh, negative by trying harder to stop thinking about it. <laughs> you know, but I tell you, don't think, don't you think about an apple, don't you think about an apple. You know, you you can't get that apple out of your mind. You know. Now, but if I tell you now, now think about a banana, you know, and I start describing a banana. Well, then it's easy. You have to replace that thought with something else, you see? So that's how it has to be. You have to replace, you have to replace these negative thoughts from thoughts that produce death to thoughts that produce life. Romans 12, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, God gives us instructions. There's a roadmap here to tell us how to to get from the place we were and, and don't want to be, the, the place of a, a, a painful and dark and deadly thought life um, to a, a life of liberty and peace and life. Amen. And light. <laughs> Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Paul has just laid out a beautiful uh, road, uh, Roman road of salvation and, and describe uh, everything that Jesus has done and provided for us. And when he gets to chapter 12, he says, therefore, brethren, in other words, based on everything that God has done and that Jesus has provided for me and who you are now through the atonement of Jesus Christ by putting your faith in his finished work, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship or reasonable service. The King James says, do not be conformed to this world, but in the same, the word that they use in where it says in the Greek, where it says, don't be conformed to the, this world. It's the same as like being poured into a mold, like, like jello or, or, or plastic army men. <laughs> I'm talking about, right? Don't be conformed to this world. You know, you're going to be conformed to something. You're going to be conformed to something in this life. You're being transformed. You're being conformed to either the world or to God. It's your choice. It's whatever you allow. People say, why, why does God allow this? 
Well, if you understand the fallen nature of man, the fall of, of mankind, who God had given dominion over this earth and they gave it to Satan, you understand the fallen nature of this world and why bad things happen to good people and all that. But as a Christian, when people say, why did God allow that? Really, the true answer, and not to be harsh, of course, we're compassionate and loving and caring. We all go through times of heartache and pain and grieving and all sorts of things like that. But instead of saying, why did God allow that? The answer really is God allows whatever you allow. Because he's given you authority and dominion in this earth now. In Christ. He, Jesus came and won it back. It's not for everybody. It's just for those who accept him as Lord and Savior. And now they're in him and he is in them. And it's Jesus living through us. Amen. Where was I? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. This is that word transform metamorpho, which is like a, a caterpillar becoming a butterfly, metamorphosis. Right? So be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable and perfect will. And I would, I would, I would submit to you those are levels of maturity in, a, in an advancing, maturing Christian life and walk. And acceptable and perfect by renewing our minds with God's word, his love, because he is love, his peace. Jesus, didn't he give us his peace as a, as a personal gift? John 14, 27, on the night of his betrayal. So by renewing our minds with the truth and love and liberty and found in God's word, we have all the truth that we need to destroy the Remember I, I talked about, taught about outside when we had, we're doing remodeling, the strongholds. The strongholds are where? In the mind. These are just mental uh, roadblocks that have been, been constructed by wrong thinking or, or uh, opinions that are against the truth of God's word. And they have to be torn down and they have to be done, that has to be done with the truth of God's word in love. Amen. People don't want it. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Yes. And so the truth of God will destroy someone without the grace of God. So we need to be established in grace. Everything, you know, even at like at Karis Bible College with Andrew, you know what? They have a policy. It's like, it's like they call it a grace sandwich. So even if like somebody if you have some instruction or a correction or some sort of disciplinary thing whatever it is negative you know can be construed as negative but it's really meant to edify in the end right but you start out with positive something positive very positive maybe a couple of things positive then you bring in that that other thing <laughs> and then more grace right that's, that's the bread, <laughs> both sides. <laughs> and that's, that's a, it's not a bad policy, even for our relationships, you know. If we can remember to do things like that, it's, it's always better because we always, our aim is, is just to edify and build people up and not to tear them down. But sometimes you have to tear down some things 
in order to get to a better, better thing. Yes. yes amen. <laughs> okay. Second uh, Corinthians ten five is the scripture that I talked about where the strongholds are. If you want to refer back to that and study that, it says we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion that raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. See that? So we can take our own thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. You know? And how do you do that? Hosea 4, 6, the Lord said, my people are perishing for a lack of knowledge. And what he said, that knowledge is knowing him. Didn't he say that the definition of eternal life Jesus gave us in John 17, 3, that eternal life is knowing God, the Father, and His Son, Jesus Christ, whom He has sent. So that's the type of knowledge that He means. This Bible is Jesus without eyeballs. So this is the knowledge that we need. But we also need to all be, always be looking at it through the eyes of grace, the lenses of grace. Otherwise, it can turn into legalism. Psalm 42, verse 11, David did something very interesting. He was in a hard spot. You know, it didn't always go great for David. Even after he was an anointed king by the prophet as a young teenager, you know what he did right after he was anointed king? He went right back out and started tending the few sheep on his daddy's place. And for, what, 13 years or whatever, he, he wasn't king yet. <laughs> so, you know, he was in it, and he was actually hunted by the king. He started out good Saul, but then he turned, he had a bad spirit and uh, a demonic spirit. He'd flip out and go trying to kill David. So he went through some tough things, and then even his own family and things, he had problems. But uh, Psalm 42, 11, he said, he's talking to himself. Listen to this. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? So he's speaking to his own personality, his mind, his will, and his emotions. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul, from his spirit, by the way? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So he, he was continually, he would preach himself happy, just like Paul said. He would encourage himself in the Lord. And that's what we, these are wonderful examples for us because sometimes you don't even realize it. And it's usually when you're alone or when you're alone in a crowd of people. But <laughs> a lot of times when the devil can get you alone or feeling alone, he'll, he'll get you, he'll try to get that spirit of heaviness to come upon you. And when you feel it, when you recognize it, and the more you practice it, the quicker you'll get it doing it. But once you recognize it, Run it off. Amen. Run it off right then in the name of Jesus. Encourage yourself in the Lord. And the Lord has said, I will replace a spirit of heaviness with a garment of praise. Yes. So use that as a formula if you want to. I mean, you can't put God in a box, but I'm telling you, he's got a lot of wonderful uh, nuggets in here. Treasure within this word that are hidden for you, not from you. But so if, if you'll replace a garment of heaviness with a spirit a garment of praise, a spirit of heaviness with a garment of praise, just begin to praise the Lord. Yes, amen. The, and, and God inhabits 
the praises of his people. Lift those heavy hands. Sometimes when you're down, believe me, I know hardest thing in the world is to just, just lift your, these heavy hands. You know, they can feel very heavy. Reach up to the Lord and just begin to laugh and praise him because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Amen. And he inhabits the praises of his people. I do it all the time. You know, I'm, hey, I, I don't, I, I'm over me. I'm over me and I'm over this world. I'm free from both. And because of that, I'm, I'm free from other people. You see, I love you all, but I love the Lord. And I know who, I know from where my help comes. <laughs> Amen. So if somebody wants to stare at me at the red light because I got my hands up in the air praising the Lord, that's okay with me. Maybe it'll catch on. <laughs> Because that's what they need to do too. Amen. <laughs> oh, okay. Isaiah 25. I just have a few scriptures for you today. Amen. Uh, Isaiah 25 says, Oh Lord, you are my God. That right there. I mean, you know, have you ever stopped and just meditate on a scripture and just break it down? Oh Lord, you are my God. I mean, that right there says everything. He, there's only one true God, and he's it, and he's yours, and you're his. And, and it's a wonderful thing. And it says, I will exalt you. You know, whatever you magnify is going to be big in your mind. You know, just like a, a pair of binoculars, you know, you look somebody from here and they look really big but you know you can turn them around the other way and they look a mile away you ever heard that you make you making a mountain out of a molehill in other words that's like you by by giving that thing so much attention and speaking it you're giving it life because you are the life giving person belonging to, as a child of god and so when you magnify the Lord, instead of the situation and circumstances, all that will begin to diminish, 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 diminish. And, and pretty soon you'll say, wow. And then you know what happens? Then the Lord just starts making the crooked places straight. Yeah. And it's like, you know, well, that morning that you were just, you, I'm just too busy. I don't have time to, to spend any time with the Lord or today. I don't have any time. You know, how could I, I got all this? Well, if you will take that time and invest it, give him the tithe of that day, the first fruit of that day, he will, he will take and make all that take all the time you didn't think you had because he's created time, and he'll he'll make everything fall into place, yes, he and be like, what? Amen. Why didn't I think of that? <laughs> you know, and he yeah. he just smiles at you. I know, baby. You're getting, you're getting there. And, you know, and the more you remember those things, document it in your mind or journal it down, you know, then you just have a record of his track record of his faithfulness. And it builds your faith. Huh? I will praise your name for you have done wonderful things, plans formed of old, faithful and sure. That's Isaiah 25, 1. So, Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name for you have done wonderful things, plans formed of old, faithful and sure. 
this is Isaiah, what, 700 years or whatever, prophesying in this passage of Scripture about God swallowing up death forever. <laughs> How? Through Jesus. Yeah. Praise God. The one who lives on the inside of you now, and you're in him. You're seated with him and at the right hand of the Father in majesty. Amen. No one can snatch you from his hand. Amen. And he's interceding for you all the time. And anytime the accuser of the brethren, which is Satan, tries to remind you of something you've done, or, or, or if it were to come up, try to come up before the Father, it's impossible anyway. Because, oh, he looks down at that mercy seat and he sees the blood of Jesus crying out for mercy. And Jesus saying, that one's mine, Father. That one's mine, Father. And so you're credited with everything that Jesus has done. It has nothing to do with you. It's not about behavior modification. That's a byproduct of the relationship. Psalm 103 is one of my favorite passages of scripture, starting in the first verse. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Again, David talking to his own soul. Huh? Now from his spirit. His spirit is encouraging him, his soul. <laughs> bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not... All his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. So that's amazing. That's a wonderful passage of scripture. Reminding himself, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases? Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. And man, when you start meditating on that and you believe it, power is released within. It comes up from your spirit. You start drawing on that well from within. Amen. Amen. John 4, 24 says, God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So these are, this is about spiritual warfare. There's a lot of misconceptions about spiritual warfare. And we could teach for months on spiritual warfare and how it's done properly. But I think just give you, I think you'll have a little better understanding. You may, may know it better than I, but we'll just talk about it a little today. I'm going to give you a couple examples. But I want you to go to Acts chapter 16. And this is a wonderful passage of scripture about Paul and Silas when they were in Philippi, uh, which was a, a Roman colony. Yeah, Acts chapter 16. And I'm probably going to start at uh, 16th verse, 1616. Yeah. So. This is where they had gone into Philippi. Like I said, this was a Roman colony. Uh, and, uh, and this is where, if you remember the story, where Lydia and her whole family were saved and uh, baptized. And uh, 
and then they stayed with her for a few days. And then in the 16th verse, it says, as we were going to the place of prayer, we met, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination. And so this is, you need to understand folks that like uh, astrology and uh, palm readers and what else they go by all that sort of psychics all that sort of stuff there are some that and, and even within witchcraft uh, which is very much a real thing and alive uh, the, the bad the bad the bad ones because there's a like a lot of Satanism and stuff out there and you can see when they're really the evil type you know and they're just trying to invite others who just want to be evil and rebellious and most people know to avoid that stuff the bigger problem is that um, well <laughs> and you know there's just there's a lot out there even in cartoons and shows and very popular book series and which they made into movies and and this uh, October 31st you know Halloween coming up and all that but there are no good witches we need to understand that there are some witches in this world that really think that they are good witches uh -huh. that's a spirit of deception God love them I hope they get free they have no power over me. But there is no good, you know, good. Oh, it's just, it's just a good against evil, you know, type thing. No. Because the only, there is nothing good but God. And if it's not of God, then it's not good. The angel disguises himself as an angel of light. In other words, he comes as a good guy. Right? So, this is a passage of scripture where you can see that in play. And, and it looks very, very strange because, well, we'll I'll, I'll talk about it as we go. As we're going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. So, you know, these were days when there was slavery was common and overt. It's probably more slavery in the world now than there was then, but it was it was a common practice, and you know a lot of people had them. But this this young girl had a spirit of divination, and her, her owners used her to do fortune telling, and they made money off of her. Okay, she followed Paul and us, crying out, "These men are servants of the Most High God." who proclaimed to you the way of salvation. Well, what did she say wrong? Well, you know, yeah. So, that's the thing. It doesn't look like she was doing anything wrong. But let's read on. And this she kept doing for many days. So she just following these guys around and, you know, they already had a hard time in the early church going to new places to start a church with a new thing that people had never heard before. And what it was, was she knew, or the devil knew, she may not have, but the devil knew that by doing this, 
he was going to stir up trouble for them. Because actually it was illegal where they were. Truth be known, they were in a Roman colony. And so anyway, and this she kept doing for many days. And this is the importance of having the Holy Ghost. Because it's like almost, how could you get mad at the girl for this? She's only telling the truth. Why don't you just pull her aside and say, would you please stop doing that? That's, that might cause more trouble than good. And, you know, you don't really, you know, I don't know, whatever. But Paul knew something and it began to aggravate him. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit. Look, he wasn't talking to her. He's talking directly to the spirit. You see Jesus do this many times. When he cast them out. He wasn't talking to the person. He was trying to set that person free. And he said to the spirit. And this is how you should do it. <laughs> I command you in the name of Jesus Christ. To come out of her. And it came out that very hour. So he, this girl was freed of this divining spirit. But caused some problems. Look at the 19th verse. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone. They lost their, their, their income from her. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. So they got beaten severely, not only by the basically the police but also the people and then they stripped their clothes off and beat them with rods okay um, and then and when they had inflicted many blows upon them they threw them into prison ordering the jailer to keep them safely having received this order he put them into the inner prison down in the dungeon basically and fastened their feet in the stocks so they were in chains beaten and naked and bloody and just sitting there probably on a cold stone or, or dirt floor, okay? Now, here's, here's what I'm trying to get to. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. There is so much in this. You know, I mean, first of all, if you were in jail, period, talk about those heavy arms that are hard to lift and praise the Lord. Much less having been beaten by the whole town and the police, stripped naked and bloody and chained up in a cold dungeon. Well, let's just sing, let's just sing and pray and sing to God. But they were, and the people were listening to them. Because how, do you, how many of you know that that... You know, churches all around town, they're just praising God and happy and wearing their Sunday best or whatever. And things are going pretty good today for a lot of them. But, you know, when someone is in the situation that Paul and Silas were and they're praising God, that, that'll get your attention. You know what I mean? <laughs> and suddenly there was an earthquake, a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Well, I, I like to think that, that God was tapping his foot. <laughs> and immediately all the doors were open, all the doors flung open, 
and everyone's bonds were unfastened. So all the chains fell off, not only Paul and Silas, but all the other prisoners in the dungeon too. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Why? This was a Roman colony, and that was their policy. If the, if the centurion or the one in charge of the jail, if he, he lost custody of these people or something happened, they were going to kill him anyway. So a lot of times they'd kill themselves rather than go through the, the shame and the, the way they were going to be treated. So he was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Not only did he and Silas not leave, but none of the other prisoners left either. I'm telling you, the anointing had to be so strong in that prison. Yeah. People felt the presence of the Lord in there, and they wanted more of it. Yep. Why would you, when, when you get in the presence of the Lord, folks, you don't want to leave. <laughs> Hallelujah. Uh, Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we're all here. And the jailer called for lights, so they're in the dark, and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. What an impact this made on him. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And here's, you say, oh, I'm not, I'm not a preacher. I don't know how to, I don't know how to do all that. I, I, I just, I can't. Here's, here's how hard it is. What must I do to be saved? And Paul, the greatest, one of the greatest preachers probably of all time, the greatest grace preacher there ever was. You know what, the sermon he ministered to him. And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. Now, this doesn't mean that if he believed in Jesus, his whole, all his family would automatically saved. It just means they had opportunity to believe as well. And if they believed, they would all be saved. So he was making the offer. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. And the next morning the magistrates came and said, let them go. So God worked a lot and then Paul said, no, you want to beat us publicly? We're Roman citizens and you want to let us go secretly? No. Let, tell them to come. And so he made a big deal out of it. And they, the magistrates had to come down and apologize to him. And then they took him out to the edge of town and said, please leave. <laughs> but, but how awesome is that? That's, that's spiritual warfare, folks. That's spiritual warfare. You see, a lot of people think spiritual warfare is just putting all their focus on the devil. And just... just the Lord binds you and rebuke you, Satan, and all that. And there's a place for that. But it's just like your wish list or your complaint list in your prayer life. It shouldn't be 90% of your prayer life. Your, your prayer life should be praising and thanking God and worshiping Him, just spending time loving on Him and letting Him love on you. And then throw in your little laundry list of complaints or needs or wants. He already knows. But it's, you, you do mention those things. You do talk about those things with him. And if you have questions about him, you know, you can know all that. He's your best friend. But the majority of it should just be thanking him and praising him because 
If you pray according to his will, which everything good for you, it's his, it's, beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in good health, even as thy soul prospers. That's God's will for your life. Yeah? So you don't have to worry or wonder about that. So just thank him when you pray. Jesus said, you believe when you pray, you shall have it. Believe when you pray that you have what you prayed for and you shall have it. So that's the way it works in the kingdom of God. Amen. Amen. You not only have the benefits with Christ, but you also have the great authority and the responsibility that we talked about. I was just mentioning Mark eleven twenty four. It says that our authority becomes effective by faith, right? Believe you have what you pray for when you pray and you shall have it. So our authority becomes effective by faith. Hebrews 1 gives the definition of faith, saying that it is the substance. So faith is the substance of things hoped for. And what is Christian hope? A confident expectation of good from God. Hope is a positive, prolonged imagination, a godly imagination. Yeah. If you, if you stop dreaming, you're, gonna, you're not going to give your faith a target. Faith is the substance or the evidence of things hoped for. So get your hopes up. You see, the world will tell you, don't get your hopes up, man. It's better just to, you know, let's just wait and see. God says, you do that, you're not going to see. What you do see, you're not going to like. Get your hopes up. Believe in the Lord. Trust in God. For he is good. Amen. Amen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And our faith becomes effective or effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing in us. That's Philemon. There's only one chapter. Verse 6. King James is the one that has that right. Our faith becomes effective by acknowledging every good thing in us. Think about that. That's not just mental assent or, or knowing. You might know it in your mind, but it is in your heart. Because if it's in your heart, you're going to say it. Because it's voice activated. Faith is voice activated. Faith has feet and lips. <laughs> Amen. Amen. James said, you show me your faith without works, I'll show you my faith by my works. In other words, my faith is going to compel me to do some things. Yes, I'm not doing them to gain God's favor, but because I have God and I, you know, because I'm a be to do, not a do to be, I already am what God has created me, recreated me to be. I'm born again. I belong to him. I am the blessed, anointed, favored, redeemed, loved child of God. And because of that, I'm going to continue to do the work of the Lord. Amen. Amen. So how do we do Philippians 4, 8? Whatever is good, beautiful, lovely, praiseworthy, think on these things. How do we do it? Acknowledge. Acknowledge him. Huh? Acknowledging God always. It's like keeping him, praising him, acknowledging him. Proverbs 3 is one of my favorite passages of scripture. Proverbs 3, and I'm almost done, verses 5 through 8. These are good words to live by. I can't find it yet, but I'll just start. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Now, trust in the Lord with all your heart. There we go. 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Boy, you can just stop right there and just Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Y'all with me? <laughs> in all your ways, acknowledge him. In all your ways, acknowledge. Just keep him ever before you. Magnify the Lord, huh? And he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. That's a big one. <laughs> Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. See, there's a balance in humility and, and uh, confidence. You have to know... You have to come to a place where you know that you know that you know. I mean, you've come to the end of yourself. You know that you are nothing apart from God. But the other side of that coin, you are never apart from God. He will never leave you or forsake you. He loves you. And there's a, there's a strong balance there, but it has to be achieved. You have to walk humbly but confident because... Because of God with you and not because of anything in and of your, your own strength or your own self. Amen. And it's very freeing, too, because you, it's, you're his responsibility. Huh? When you're seeking him and acknowledging him and everything you do, then it's all, it's all up to him. As long as you're just leading, being led by the Holy Spirit. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Proverbs. Oh, Isaiah 26.3 is another one that I mention often. I will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on me. You see, that's what, that's what David always did. He reminded himself to put his focus on the Lord and the goodness of the Lord because God is good. There's no, nothing good that doesn't come from God. God is love. So remind yourself. Just like David did to put your focus back on him. And then God's got a promise in Isaiah 26, 3 that he will keep you in perfect peace, which was a gift, a personal gift to you from Jesus himself, his own peace. If you keep your mind stayed on him and then he tells why, because he trusts in me, because you trust in the Lord and, and you keep your focus on him, you magnify him instead of the trials and tribulations of this life. And he says, you're going to have them. But he says, stick with me. Stick with me. He told me one time. He said, I was, because I was focusing on the devil. And he just told me one time, he said, just stick with me. He's scared of me. <laughs> He's scared of me. That's a fact. That's a fact. <laughs> Matthew. And I'm going to finish with this, but this is, this is important. This is something I was going to tell you last week, I think, or the week before, both, and I ran out of time. But it's been on my heart. There's a scripture in Matthew, verse uh, 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 12. And uh, it's mimicked, if you want to get more clarity on it, in Luke 16, 16. But Matthew chapter 11, verse 12 says this. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence 
and the violent take it by force. And this is one of the most misunderstood passages of Scripture in the Bible. They're hard to understand because it appears that that the, that like the like the kingdom of heaven is is under attack and and uh, against by some enemies, right? And that they're taking it by force. That's not what it's saying. So I wanted to talk to you about this because it's important that you understand it because this is you. You're one of the ones taking it by force. And it's not a, it's not a violence against God. I, wanna, I took some of the commentary from some of the study stuff that I use and I, I just want to read it to you. The kingdom of heaven suffereth violence. The words describe the eager rush of the crowds of Galilee and Judea, first to the preaching of the Baptist, that's John the Baptist, and then to that of Jesus. It was, as it were, a city attacked on all sides by those who were eager to take possession of it. You see what I'm saying? See, they had been under the law for 1,500 years. And even people now, they have... They have been without God for all their lives until they hear this. And then when they hear the news of the kingdom of God, they desperately want it, you see? And so it's like someone that's eagerly uh, desiring to take possession of it. And there's, uh, there was another commentary, the violent take it by force. And it talks about the Greek noun as well, the, the article, things that we don't understand. And then men who are violent or use force, and it's focusing on that. It says, the meaning is determined by the preceding clause. The violent are men of eager, impetuous zeal who grasp the kingdom of heaven, i.e. its peace and pardon and blessedness with as much eagerness as men would snatch and carry off as their own the spoil of a conquered city. Their new life is, in the prophet's language, given them as a prey. And then it refers to Jeremiah 21, 9, Jeremiah 45, 5, which all were typologies of this very thing, you see? So there's no thought of a hostile purpose toward God. It's just the violent take it by force. See, all the promises and the provision of the cross of Jesus Christ that God has made through Jesus, they, they don't just happen automatically, folks, or by accident. Or if God's in a good mood. <laughs> you laugh, but people think that. Like he's up there, yes, yes, no, no, yes, no. God is not doing that. <laughs> if God's will was automatic, I'm, I'm talking about the sovereignty message. That God is whatever God wants. That's what's happening. And that's just not true, folks. Not to that extent. If God's will was automatic, all, wouldn't all be healed? Wouldn't all be saved? Wouldn't all be prosperous? As God's will that none should perish, but that everyone should come to repentance and the knowledge of his son, Jesus. And then what I say, Third John 2, Beloved, I wish above all things, this is God's will, that thou mayest prosper and be in good health, even as thy soul prospers. So if God's will was automatic, then everyone would be prosperous and healthy huh? and saved. Perfect peace, perfect prosperity and deliverance and no evil. 
would be in this world because in God love <laughs> okay so I mean it just shoots a lot of holes in those bad theologies those theologies are convenient theologies for ministers who do not understand if I don't know something I'm going to say I don't know let's pray together or I'll find out but I'm not going to just make up a convenient theology that blames God for things the devil is doing. Unfortunately, folks, we live in a fallen world. It's been corrupted by sin, and it suffers the negative effects of the poor choices made by the free will of mankind. So for all that God has for you, and for all of those who love him to come to fruition in our lives, we need to learn to trust in and cooperate with God in faith. We call to a life of faith. He said, my righteous, and who, who are his righteous? You have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are righteous and holy, sanctified, set apart unto God in Christ Jesus. But we have to learn, we have to first just make up our minds that that's what we want and then go after it. There's a certain amount of spiritual violence required on our part. And now that I've described that and explained it, you understand what I'm talking about. The enemy doesn't want us to have our inheritance. And he'll do whatever he can to prevent us. First, his goal is to keep you from ever accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If, if he didn't succeed in that, then his goal is to keep you from being effective to serve for serving him in the kingdom. And for receiving your inheritance and all the blessings that God has spoken over you. And you're going to have to use some spiritual weapons to take it by force. Your inheritance, that is. Not from God. Better said, to tend and... Let's go back all the way to the garden. He put Adam in the garden and he gave him a job to do. To tend and protect the garden. By Jesus' stripes, you were healed. If you were healed, you remain healed. The gifts and calling of God are without repentance. You are delivered. You are, all these things are already granted unto you in Christ. They are already on account in your born again spirit. You have to, don't pray and beg God to do something. Just defend what he's already done. When the enemy tries to come against you, no. Whether it's with sickness or whatever. It's a, it's a reality, a fact of this life, of this world that's looking for a place to reside. And it wants to reside in your vessel. And you have to reject it in the name of Jesus. Defend it. Fight it off. Forcefully hold on. And take control of what God has given you. What Jesus paid with his precious blood to give you. And it's all good. Amen. Amen. Remember the woman with the issue of blood. 
That's an example of the violent taken by force. She said, if I can just get to him and just touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. That's a determined, violent effort. You see, not against Jesus, but to receive from him. And you know how to bless Jesus, receive from him. <laughs> so it wasn't against him, it was against the enemy in the world that was trying to keep her from, from what she knew God had for her. And she was right. She broke every law there was. She could have been stoned and much less, she was already broke from this illness and suffered terribly from it for all this time. And then she still made this valiant effort to get out there in the crowd who all wanted to be around him and just said, hey, I'm getting to him. And she got it. And Jesus was, he loved that. He loved it. Look at Paul and Silas, beaten, chained up in the bottom of the dungeon, unfamiliar territory, trying to lay tracks for the new church. And just, they could have gotten into a real pity party. Oh, what are we gonna do? How are we gonna get out of this? This is a terrible situation. They didn't. They chose the better thing. Just praise God, trust in God, pray. And look who came through for them, huh? Praise God. Listen. Your worship is your worship. I was thinking on that this week. Your worship is your worship. And I think of like that big battleship Texas, you know, with those big guns. And, and as I was meditating on this, and I'm like, okay, so... I see these big guns just firing off against everything, every attack of the enemy, right? Just bump, just destroying them, you know? And then I saw that the, the, the ship was being powered from above, like a big channel of light, like a, like, like a big light beam or something, like a, uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. So the source was coming from the worship, you know, from above, and then the power was being released against all the... the the enemies of our soul. Amen. Amen. Psalm 16, 2 says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. If you say that and you believe that, well, you need good things every day, every moment of every day, don't you? And if you really believe that apart from the Lord and that he is your Lord and that you have no good thing without him, you will never detach from him. You will always be on your mind. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Y'all blessed today? Yes, Me too. Love you all. God loves you. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and for your precious word. Thank you for loving us so much and teaching us and helping us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that we will be ever mindful of you and that you are the source of everything good in our lives. And apart from you, we can do nothing. We are nothing, but we are never without you. You will never leave us or forsake us. So help us to always remember to turn to you and not run from you, Lord, to lift those heavy hands in times of darkness and despair and just remember that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And if we can just get into the 
place of praise and prayer and worship and proclamation that you are always going to come running to our aid, Lord. We thank you for that, for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.